welcome to the most excellent 80s movies podcast. It's the podcast where a filmmaker and a comedian crash, bang, and explode their way through the 80s movies we think we love or might have missed with these our modern grown-up eyes to see how they hold up. And this is Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior, a movie selection from 1981. This is what it has come to. Look! Help They're coming back! Come on! Move it! Here is where it shall be decided. Here it is. Greetings from the Humongous. In a world without gas. The Humongous rules the wasteland! I'm gravely disappointed that you wish to take the gasoline out of the wasteland. Defend the fuel. We'll never walk away! Give me the pump, the gasoline, the whole compound. This is a land that prays for a hero. Well, if anyone's gonna get in there, it's gonna be you. This is Mad Max 2. Send driving like that, man. The warrior of the road. You're okay by me, pal. Gotta hand it to you, Trish. The last of the V8 interceptors. Every day we get weaker while they get stronger. You wanna get out of here? You talk to me. Now, to do the job, I need some high-octane gasoline. Got yourself a deal. You can run, but you can't hide! You gonna crash? Or crash through. I was wrong about you. I'm sorry. When it's every man for himself. And there's no place left to run. left is one last chance. Pray that he's still out there. Somewhere. Mad Max 2. Boy, that keeps going. That's basically the whole entire movie is start to start to finish there. <laughs> Um, with the inclusion of the over-talking, mm -hmm. the voiceover. Hi, I'm Chrissy Lenz. I am a comedian and the director of the Neighborhood Comedy Theater in downtown Mesa, Arizona. Happy to be talking about uh, cars and explosions and assless chaps with you today. What a wonderful Tuesday. Uh, I'm yeah. Nathan Blackwell, the filmmaker the award-winning filmmaker, the Arizona <laughs> Filmmaker of the Year. Uh, yeah, we had a good night. We yeah, uh, we did well at the our, our movie, the last movie ever made, did uh, well at the uh, Phoenix Film Festival. It was just a really good time. There were a lot of great other um, Arizona films there and just uh, other films in the competition. 
and the different categories. Uh, there was a lot of it. It was a really good festival this year. Well, congratulations right now. Um, I'm so proud of you. Um, <laughs> so what is your Mad Max experience? Well, you know, there, there's um, so I've seen the Road Warrior probably three or four times. Um, I would say I've got a good bet. You know, it's like, the, it's, you know, some of these franchises, it's hit and miss just depends on like who you know and what you're catching on TV. Um, I think I caught Road Warrior pretty young. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've never seen the first one. I, I, um, I'm kicking myself about it, but not too badly. Like, right. It definitely was a lot more shoestring. Like the stuff I love about Mad Max is really Mad Max, the road warrior, you know? Right. Um, And it, it's interesting. Like, the 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 third film Mad Max Beyond the Thunderdome was one of my friends favorite movies mm. one in specific um and for some other reason it's like oh well I can't like that's his movie and my road warrior so I like yeah. went back and rewatched uh the Thunderdome for whatever reason like you know like we each had our own favorite mad max film Mm -hmm. Um, but uh but yeah but it's you know um you know when i say it's it it was my favorite and i'm a fan i'm definitely a fan but um it's you know it's not high up on my kind of echelon of of action movies uh but it's one that i've i've always enjoyed I agree with you. I that's how I feel about it too. I feel like my dad was always a big fan of the mm-hmm. Mad Maxes, but they would just be on. Um, but like, if you compare it to you know any other action movie, like I'll take a Die Hard over a Mad Max. Yeah, yeah. It's like when we're talking about like just based off of rewatches. Like I've seen you know Road Warrior maybe four times, and then Die Hard maybe like twenty five times. Yeah, you know exactly. Um, they were doing post-apocalyptic before post-apocalyptic was cool, though, man. You got to yeah. give them credit for that. And, and that's absolutely where I'm, you know, uh, like I, I ha- there's a, a couple of weird genre spots that I have a lot of affinity for, um, like zombie movies and mm-hmm. po- anything and anything post-apocalyptic is um, it gets a pass. You know, it's a it's a good uh, it's good for me. I am glad there's no zombies in this. Like, I think there <laughs> could have been easily. Like, it would slide so easily into zombies. Um, but the people in this world are bad enough. Yeah, well, I, you know, they're really trying to do what's great about these post-apocalyptic, George Miller's post-apocalyptic movies is that he takes kind of a glee in creating the insanity of what these people have gone through. Like there's, there's mm-hmm. post-apocalyptic stories like the road. Right. Which is so sad. Yeah. And, and it's like, there's no resources. Everyone is miserable and stinky and, and, <laughs> and, and covered in shit. And, and they're, um, you know, and they're sad. And, and that's one way to look at it. And this is almost kind of like, Everyone is just struck with a certain degree of like their brain is broke just a bit. 
and it allows yeah. him to have these very crazy, very eccentric. Like for him, it's civilization is gone. Yeah. And so there's there's anything goes at this right. point. Like the norms are gone, you know, um like the references to what other people are doing, you know, it's like ever it's all over the map, which is fun. Mm-hmm. And so the apocalypse of this is just basically that like the world ran out of fuel. Yeah, basically there was some sort of energy crisis or it, it, it's it's very much like after the fact there's no people who were the people who are telling the story are not the people who witnessed it and so it's kind of like been passed down that basically there was a resource crisis and and the world the civil you know we the the scope creep of human civilization just went too far and just kind of collapsed collapsed and decided you know what we don't need anymore the part of pants that covers your butt. That's what we don't need anymore. Um, but basically, the Mad Max is just a character who roams the wasteland using up gas in his quest to find more gas. Yes. And we have a we do have a voiceover. We have a character who's sort of narrating for us who tells us, I remember Max. And he was the road warrior and he was our savior. And I remember him. Mm-hmm. He is just sort of out with his dog doing his thing. He meets a lively, weird character uh, that we later learn is a gyroscope captain who lays in a wait. gyrocopter captain. Like a gyro- a gyros- oh, what did I say? Gyroscope. Did I say gyroscope? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. A gyrocopter. It's slightly different. Um, but his like shtick is that he lays down in the ground and has trained snakes who attack people. Hey, everyone's got to have a thing. And hey, I say you adapted pretty darn well. <laughs> it seems uh, 100% successful. Yeah, uh, and not for Mad Max, though. Mad Max catches the snake by its head mm-hmm. and kills it. Um, but together, they observe. Well, first, he gets attacked by these roving marauders. Mm-hmm. Are they called something in this movie? Or I just kept referring to them as the bad guys. I I don't know if their organization. I mean, they're led by the humongous. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know <laughs> my, my look, uh, my internet research, um, is, uh, is, uh, not just, always we'll call them the bad guys, but you can tell guys, that yeah. they're bad guys because they wear a lot of black leather mm-hmm. and you can tell the good guys are good guys because they wear a lot of white canvas. Yes. Like yellow silks or whatever just very very light breezy summery wear which is smart honestly smart in a desert wasteland yeah and and i feel like in defense of this whole needing to drive everywhere it's it works much better here being like a desert wasteland like you've you've got to continue to move from place to place to get resources because there's a lot of empty nothing you know, like it's <laughs> it's like Phoenix, like it's a it's a car town, you know, right. not very walkable. 
Not walkable um, at all. No. And and so you really do rely on your car. Or your bicycle-powered gyrocopter. Yes. Um, which is a smart thing to have. We should all take classes about building bicycle-powered gyroscopters. Well, if we put the plans away so that future generations can find it, we can kind of set them up for success. Yeah. You know? That's what they'll need. Yeah. Um. So Max and the gyro captain uh, observe a little hole in the wall, except there's no wall, a hole in the wasteland where the good guys, we'll call them, are mining fuel. Yeah. So they, they have a, a this huge compound that's protected, but, you know, they... They, they definitely they've got marauders on their back. You yeah, know? at when, all times. It's kind of cool when we see them. Uh, when we see Max and the uh, the gyro captain, uh, played by Bruce Spence, like you know, spying on the situation. Like they're already under siege. Like mm-hmm. it's already beginning. It's not kind of like there's rumblings or things like that. It's like we're almost seeing like the action sequence play out, but from binoculars. Um, from from binoculars and the world's most comically long telescope, <laughs> which I loved every time he mm-hmm. busted out that like four foot. It was probably that even five foot spyglass. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was uh, hilarious, and then it, you sort of get this dizzying effect of like watching these attacks through that single eyed lens. Mm-hmm. And you see a couple of people trying to escape uh, out of the compound and make it past the marauders. Well, they don't make it. Nope. Max tries to help one of them. Well, he's not really trying. Help is a to strong help. word. Yeah. yeah. So I, this is kind of very much like you know, um, like a western, like. Clint Eastwood, like I'm out just to help myself. He, you know, it's like these these scoundrels, these selfish men with a heart of gold, you right. know, that constantly tell everyone, I'm, you know, I'm just here for the gas. I don't care about your cause. Just give me the, you know, what you owed me. But at the at these pivotal moments, he he does the right thing, you know. Like he this is up. this is one of those um, movies where you can, you know, it's like no man is an island. You know, right. Which <laughs> I, if if you ever get stuck on like what is your movie or your story about, No Man Is an Island can cover like eighty percent of all stories. Right. So if <laughs> except that there was a man who was an island, it might be Max. Yes. Except if there's if there's a dog on the island, mm-hmm. he has a pet dog. That is uh, all the animals in this post-apocalyptic world are really helpful. The snakes are trained Mm -hmm. to help. The dog is trained to um, pull a bone that's tied to a shotgun (laughs) that's pointed at a prisoner's face. Uh, Yeah. At at that point, you, you, you know, you knew what kind of crazy movie you were watching. Yeah, exactly. And so that's the point is he's there to get the fuel. He wants to get the fuel. He just wants to continue his tour tour de wasteland. Uh, But he gets sort of 
sucked into the challenge of trying to transport all of the fuel out of the compound past the marauders and to some paradise they think is just around the river bend. Yeah. The definite like, sure, that's there. Yeah, they seem the the good guys are are pretty disorganized, um irrational, emotional, all over the place. And and I get it. Like and and then they're full of a lot of interesting colorful characters. You know, you've got the the warrior woman. Um mm-hmm. Which do any of them have names? Like I, <laughs> yeah, I'm just going off of uh, uh, off of the, like their IMDb credits. Okay, um, um, and then you've got you know like the the legless mechanic who's moved around by this little crane. Um, you've got like that general um, Papadio, mm-hmm. and and then the the de facto leader who's really just trying to keep this kind of barrel of cats together. Right. Who is like, we're never going to know how they came upon this compound. We're never going to know where they got these chickens. We're never going to know what the warrior woman's backstory is that she's so mad at everyone. Uh, We're just plunked right down into the middle of this thing. And we're going to get sucked back out of it, essentially in another middle. Yeah. Yeah. Which which is exciting, you know. It's like I love it. Yeah, keep the um, the exposition exposition down to a minimum. Dump us in, and then it becomes an active process of trying to figure out who they are, what they want, how they got it. You know, it it, it lets us participate in it. Yeah, um, and they basically just. They want out. The humongous comes down, which like they do a lot of going back and forth, but we never see the bad guys like home base. Uh, But again, for as badly as they want gas, they sure do burn it all up doing donuts in the parking lot of the compound. But they're basically like, we're going to come in and we're going to kill you all tomorrow or you can abandon the compound and leave everything behind and we'll let you live. So the humongous is this muscle-bound giant with a you know a hockey mask on obviously like there's burns underneath. But the the really interesting thing is that he talks you know he says there's been too much violence, too much pain. Let us put an end to this horror. Like, you know, <laughs> he he's very eloquent, mm-hmm. but he is a hundred percent perpetrating all of these horrors. Yeah. So, but I found him very interesting. You know, I the- thought it was interesting too that he's wearing like a full face coverage mask, and we can see that he's got some kind of like scars and scarring. But mm-hmm. again, we're not going to learn the story. We're not going to see his weird, gross face. Mm-hmm. He just is this mysterious figure. Yeah, and that's all we get to know. And it, it it's it's impossible to like. I feel it's impossible to talk about this one without thinking about Mad Max Fury Road. You know, exactly. like th- these two are so connected to each other. Um, basically, like Mad Max, it's like it's like 
If you love the last 15 minutes of The Road Warrior, well, that's Mad Max Fury Road. Fury Road, yeah. You know, like it, it is all the tanker chase scene, you yeah. know. Um, and, but this is George Miller, you know, like really kind of creating this world in a way that we haven't. Again, I'm just basing off of the footage I've seen from the first one. I know I'm terrible. The first Mad Max, the, the the first Mad Max is very much like in a urban environment. It's not a desert. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is like civilization. Ha- it's n- it wasn't like an all or nothing. Like civilization is crumbling, you know. Like mm-hmm. it has been reinventing itself, but it's very much like in very you know like forests and 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 cities and things like that. Yeah. Um, but this is full on like the desert. And cars, and it's all about basically at one long chase, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I would say this one is like a couple of sporadic chases with some shouty debate in between. Yeah. Yeah. There's a bunch. uh, Because, I mean, geez, Louise, they really, they go, they go for this and they go for it hard. Like this movie, um, when it came out in 81, like... It was like a bolt from the skies in terms of mm-hmm. just like exactly what Fury Road did, like raising the bar, getting everyone's attention, becoming the new high watermark for stunts. Yes. You know, like very like, much so. Like for, for people who loved action movies, but for like stuntmen, like this was suddenly like, you know, the new gold standard. Yeah. It, and uh, some of the stuntmen making this movie like actually got really hurt. Yeah, this, <laughs> this movie looks so freaking dangerous. Yeah, and was like they really hurt these poor stunt performers and like used the footage of them getting their legs broken and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's that famous scene where um, that one uh, stunt performer who's just supposed to do a fall, but instead he just flips end over end over end, which is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but, but oof. Is no good. I mean, it's good for the movie, but that poor man broke his leg. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and I guess we should say in terms of rounding out who the characters are, uh, Max is sort of the little backstory we get in the voiceover is that his wife and child were run over by a different gang of marauders. But mm-hmm. it made Max into the grumpy man we know today. <laughs> And there's a little kid, a little feral kid who has a who's absolutely lethal with a boomerang. Yeah, he's got a metal boomerang and like a special glove to catch it. And he just murders people left and right. And we learn at the end that he's the one doing the voiceover. Yeah, he's the eloquent narrator. Yes. Um, so the whole buildup is what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We got to try and get out of here. Max, of course, is the hero refusing the call. He doesn't want to help them. He tries to leave and he is not able to. Yeah. Yeah. His car gets exploded. Yeah. His interceptor gets intercepted. It does. Yeah. It doesn't do the intercepting. It gets the intercepted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it r- kind of reminds me of, um, again, like the, um, you know, the Clint Eastwood westerns to where, 
Uh, he thinks he got away, and then the gang catches up with him and beats the crap out of him. Yeah, like yeah, like uh, yeah, the uh, uh, fistful of dollars, and suddenly he's now at this low point. You know, mm-hmm. he's beaten up, and he has no more no more options except to join these people. And he does. He volunteers to uh, drive. A big old tanker, which he went to fetch for them, uh, to fill it up with the fuel and drive it one way while everybody else tries to escape the other way. Mm-hmm. And that is when a car chase starts that basically is the rest of the movie. Um, it's like it's hard to talk about this movie, just like it would be hard to talk about Fury Road, I think, because so much of it is cars and stunts and people jumping up from car to car and people shooting something from car to car and mm-hmm. Molotov cocktails flying through the air. And I mean, I will say they do their best to give these cars all personality. Yeah. And even though the personality is like something that we can get really quickly and not have to like think too hard about, like one of the cars has two good guys strapped to the front. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and one of the cars is like, got one of the bad guys uh, chained to the front. And, you know, so that's how we kind of identify Who's who's who in this big car chase? Yeah. Um, man alive. Yeah. The, one of the things that George Miller does so well in this is just making a, a real hard time for the for the heroes. Like he it, you know, it, it's and again, it's in, in Fury Road. You know, it's usually in, in a lot of action movies like the hero is doing is kicking ass. Right, you know, like it's almost a showcase to show out how great they are, you know. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. instead, this is more of a way of of just stripping things away all the time. Yeah, they have all the they have all these allies, and then more bad thing bad things happen to them. More bad things happen to them. Holy crap, we're losing allies, and then it's just a process of making it harder and harder and harder for them. And they're just barely able to keep their head above water. Right. You know, they get a couple of cathartic moments after they've had like three hard knocks of of blowing away a bad guy, you know. But it's just, it it, it is more of the process of, of surviving what's mm-hmm. happening mm-hmm. and just coming out on top at the end. Just barely. Yeah. And in fact, there's a twist at the end of this movie because we find out once Max crashes he seems to get away but he still crashes he finds out that the tanker he's been driving is full of sand yeah so he um spoilers (laughs) but um yeah so he he basically committed this heroic act and part of it in the back of his mind is still selfish. Like he wants some of this gas. Um, And it turns out he was in fact heroic. He was driving the decoy truck. 
so that everyone could get away. Um, they had the gas, not in a tanker, but just kind of like in barrels in their car. But uh, he was, in fact, still saving him. But it did feel like he was duped because he was duped. Mm-hmm. He And he was duped by, we learn, the gyro captain who is behind the the plot to be like, okay, well, here's how we're really going to get out. We're going to send them after the big tough guy in the big tough car. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to follow the little school bus full of uh, women and children and gasoline and chickens. Yeah. Uh, pretty smart. Mm-hmm. Pretty smart. Uh, but I think Max was like, at the end, we definitely know that he's not in on it. He's uh-huh. like, you, you guys. I'm majorly bummed. I'm, I'm, I'm not happy. I was not consulted. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we learn from the uh, voiceover of the little kid that the gyro captain became their leader. And then he, the feral kid, became their leader after that. And so they apparently survived for a long, long time. And they tell the story of of uh, Max, the road warrior, because he was their like unlikely savior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it's kind of how a lot of these stories are done, to where he is a mythical character that's kind of coming in and changing people's lives. Yeah, you know, it's not really for him. So he is kind of like the Paddington. You know, or he is affecting other people's lives, but but the needle for his development is only kind of moving a bit. You know, like he's yeah. going from self selfish to selfless, just a bit for now, just a tiny bit. Yeah, Not but much. it's re- it's really more about the people that he 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 changes, he affects. You know. Um, I did think that the warrior woman really, really reminded me of um, the woman from Conan, the barbarian. Uh, <laughs> the and Valkyrie. I just, yeah, I just kept wanting her to be like, Max, breathe. Let me breathe my last breath into your mouth. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Yeah. All right. She really reminded me of that girl. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but on the whole, in spite of it being like, a pretty fun, pretty exciting movie. It's also, I feel, equally kind of boring. I'll be honest. It was just a little shaky this time around. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know if it was me. Like it, it kind of had a slow start. Yeah. Um, and and a lot of these uh, goofballs, these um, these good guys. We spend a lot of time with them, you know. We spend like, a lot of time with them waffling about what to do. Yeah. So that did that did lessen the rewatch a bit, you know. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I've definitely seen this movie and it's like, yes, classic 80s movie goes up top, top shelf right here. Yep. Um, but yeah, it was just a little shaky this time. I don't know what it was. Um. I think it's just because, like, once you've seen one car explode. Well, also, there's a novelty to all these guys. There's a novelty to the world and the characters. And and we've seen a lot of this novelty already. And not not only, you know, that we've seen this movie. But in some ways, like, Fury Road is kind of like the, the remake of this film. Right. 
in some ways, not literally, but in in like the the ideas that he's doing, the action, the characterization, like he is just upped the game with Fury Road. Mm-hmm. That in some of this, it feels like softball and hardball, you know, or at least yeah. like, the, like the first iteration and then like the third iteration, you know, right? Like technology got him to the place where he oh, his imagination always wanted to go. Yeah. Um, so, so, and in 1981, so, they just couldn't do all. Although they were doing the maximum of what they could, yeah, this was like Australia's most expensive film to date at this time. You yeah. Know? And they and they put it all out there. Like they built that compound and they blew it the fuck up. They completed yeah. it into oblivion. Um, and the biggest explosion in like the history of Australian <laughs> film, right? <laughs> that, that explosion could be seen from space. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, the things they did, you know, not, and not to detract, but the things they did in this film were ama- amazing and incredible. But it, it, I guess part of it we can't help but now compare to it. With the other films, you know, exactly. That's that's what I think. It's just that like this mm-hmm. was great, and it was great for 1981, but you know, modern day me just gets a little bit bored. Mm-hmm. Not with the characters, but just with the the big chunks of car chase. Mm. And I'm sure that there are people who feel exactly the opposite of me and they get bored of the characters and they love all of the car chase. It's a slippery slope. It is. It is. But you know what? We all you know, <laughs> yeah, in this world, at least, you know what they value? Individuality. Mm-hmm. If you if you want to wear assless chaps, then you do you boo. They as long as you're on board with the arrow shooting and the guzzling, mm-hmm. then you if you get can to man one of life. those quad harpoon guns, then yeah, you do you. Yeah. Um. So then, on a scale of a uh, one quad harpoon gun to ten quad harpoon guns, which would be forty harpoons. Mm, okay. All right. Hang on. How many uh harpoons? From one, from four to 40. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to give it 20 harpoons, 28 harpoons. Sorry. 28 28. harpoons. Yeah. So that's, so that'd be a seven out of 10. And and I had, again, I had intended to to rate it much higher, but just this viewing, I mean, anything is subjective. Like it, it, you know, your watching of a film also says something about you as well at that time, you know? It's true. So we acknowledge that and then we disregard that by giving it a number, a seven. Yeah, a seven. <laughs> I think I think seven is the right number. Um, I really think it is because like even if even though I, I want to go a little bit lower because I was like I kept doing that thing where you, you know, you tap on the screen to see how much of the movie is left. Mm hmm. I kept doing that and uh, tapping on the screen to see how much movie was left and going, really? How can there be that much movie left? Um, but I, I, but I do think seven is the right number because if you've never seen this, you should see it. Mm-hmm. And if you've never seen it, it, it's going to thrill you. And there's a lot of things that are charming about it. I just, to me, 
it it comes down to a seven because I just get I get um, fatigue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's weird because I would if I if I had a like a top ten list of action movies from the eighties, it would be on it. You know, like these yeah. are the ten action movies from the eighties that you should watch to feel like you, you know, like you have watched the best of that decade, and so that would definitely be on it. You know. I agree. Um, and I don't I, I don't think it's bad. There's nothing wrong with it. So what is your deep cut recommendation? So mine is going to be um, the video game series Fallout. So. Oh, OK. <laughs> there, there's, there's a bunch of, you know, like I, I played Fallout 2 long, long ago. And, it, you know, it's post-apocalyptic. It has a a, a, sen- a black sense of humor, mm-hmm. um, but tell also me, tell me about how the I don't know anything about the game. So it it is um it it starts off with uh um the op- there's always kind of an opening, um uh, voiced by Ron Perlman. War war never changes, and so basically um it's kind of an alternate Earth that kind of had. It's own like it's like what when the the bombs dropped, it was kind of very much like a fifties style technology, you mm-hmm. know. Even though things some things were more futuristic, and so then it's post apocalyptic. The main character has been living in a it, it has grown up in a fallout shelter mm-hmm. where like this small group of civilization has existed for maybe even like a century. You know, okay, and then emerging f- and finding the post post-apocaly- apocalyptic wastes, which are full of not only desperate people and raiders, but also like mutants and kind of stuff with kind of a bit of a sci-fi sensibility, like these like Robbie the robots who haven't been turned off for a hundred years, you know, who are trying to kill you, and you've got like mutated like giant scorpions, and and so it's kind of running the gamut of like the 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 terrible uh desperate people mm-hmm. you know and it's doing that realistically imposing ethical questions do you help these people do you not help these people and then also having the slightly more broad darker comical sci-fi elements to it as well I but love it. Uh, but yeah so like the the it the it goes back a long time and they've been doing different versions of it um, I'd I'd recommend if you haven't played it, it's 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 wonderful and charming. Yay! Um, so I I went back and forth on my deep cut recommendation. I think that you certainly could recommend John Wick mm-hmm. because uh, at this movie, really the core is it's about a man in his car and his dog. Yeah. Well, and then also, like, both of those movies are kind of like the spearhead of stunts. Yes, I, I agree. At their time. Uh, and it's really, they're out there showcasing the people who are doing these amazing, like, death-defying, mm-hmm. body-crunching, um, impossible tasks. Yeah. Amazing practical stunts. So, I think it would be fair to recommend John Wick, but instead... I'm going to recommend the Netflix show Next in Fashion. 
because <laughs> in a post-apocalyptic world. Yes, go on. Fashion is really a big part of things. Fa- you know, they say in some video games, fashion really is the end game. It is. Because look, you're you're going to have to show your alliance and your allegiance to mm-hmm. one group or the other. Good. And like whether or not you have a headband and, you know, a lot of overstitching on your quilted canvas romper mm-hmm. or you have a very structured uh, black leather harness and, <laughs> uh, you know, a very uh, BDSM look that's going to tell you know how are you using feathers yeah and in what way are you using uh like sports padding as your outerwear good um these are all really important questions to ask ourselves Mm -hmm. and on the show next in fashion uh the point is you know it's it's similar to a project runway you've got uh contestants who are trying to win challenges um, but the question they ask themselves is what's next in fashion mm. and what what is Mad Max, if mm-hmm. not what's next in fashion? Right. Right. Once the world collapse, that's what's next in fashion. So that's my recommendation. Uh, plus, on that show, they do a lot of stuff that would really fit in well to a Mad Max world. <laughs> There's a lot of a lot of straps that do nothing. Mm hmm. Uh, a lot of flaps, a lot of overstitching. Uh, and so I think that's uh, going to be my deep cut recommendation for Mad Max because you need to know. Good. I need to that. go in armed with information. And like, frankly, for people like me who can't drive like a maniac. Right. I- I'm going to need to have some value in the group. Good. Yes. Yes. And my value is going to be fashion mm-hmm. and improv comedy. <laughs> Yeah, I, that's a good question. Like, what is your value? I've I've thought about this quite a bit. Like, what is your value in a survival community? Mm-hmm. And then maybe more specifically in a post-apocalyptic. Like, like what if you were in a community in The Last of Us? Like, how would you be valuable? You know, or or if you were in a post-apocalyptic community for whatever reason, you were just transported there. Yeah. And what could you do that other people couldn't? Or what would be your value so you wouldn't just end up being the dude who has to, like, shovel corpses into a big fire? You know? Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach people improv. That's, it's, <laughs> the, it's the art form of entertainment that you can do without mm-hmm. any, uh, any necessity. And I'm going to train people to entertain themselves. I think I would try to either be... E- Maybe it's not a full time job, but being like either like the storyteller or the person who records the tales or the journals or history yeah. of the group or or just anything, or maybe that just rolls into maybe being like a teacher, you know? Sure. Like if there's a bunch of kids, maybe it makes me think of uh, Reign of Fire. Have you seen that movie? Yes. Yeah. Where they're like retelling Star Wars. Yes, which is fantastic. In their yeah. post-apocalyptic underground world. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that could be your job. Yeah, I, I, I I'd, be, I'd be in that. on it. The problem is, is I don't think it's a full-time position. I'd still probably have to 
just do it part time and then do something that's maybe of more value. So, man, I wish during COVID I picked up some sort of survival community hobby. Yeah, you know. sorry. Well, you know, uh, you're still going to have to shovel some corpses, but they'll protect you because you're the keeper of their stories, right? Okay, good. And in the end, we're all just stories, as, <laughs> as Doctor Who says. Mm-hmm. Uh, try so- to make your living doing it. Yeah, I challenge you. Uh, hey, I, <laughs> hey, I hear you, boy. I hear you. Uh, speaking of making a living at it, where can people find and support your award-winning uh, filmographies? So, um, if you the, prob- the easiest direct route is just to uh, search out Squishy Studios, like on the you know squishystudios.com or Squishy Studios on you know social media, YouTube. Things like that. And it'll lead you uh, to the last movie ever made. But we've also got like the last movie ever made dot com, which at this point just sends you to Squishy Studios. But mm-hmm. um, you can you know, like, you know, if like you're if you're interested in, in the project in the film, I would just say just look up uh, Squishy Studios on YouTube and you can watch the trailer. Excellent. Uh, you can find me at the Neighborhood Comedy Theater, The Place. And at NCT Phoenix online, you can find more about most. Oh, you can also find me on the Cool Time Dice Hour, uh, both live at the Neighborhood Comedy Theater in downtown Mesa and on True Story FM. Uh, And you can find more about the podcast at mostexcellentpod.com. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, please like, rate, review, respond, or reach out to us on Facebook, friend us. I'll send you some stickers. You can become a member at True Story <laughs> FM, uh, all that good stuff. And remember, when you're out there in the world, uh, driving your cars and using up all that gasoline, keep the most excellent 80s movies podcast motto in mind. Be excellent to each other and... Party on, on, dudes. dudes.